Support for this episode of This Changes Everything is provided by Primera Blue Cross. Zion Hilliker is co-owner of the B&B family Lavender Farm in Squim, Washington, out on the Olympic Peninsula. He and his family give farm tours, they sell lavender bunches wholesale, and they make lavender products. We're truly a family farm. It's me and my wife. We have two kids mm. and her parents. We own and operate everything, and we have uh, two employees that are seasonal. Zion talked with CrossCut staff reporter Manola Sakaira recently about his new normal. It's summertime now, the high season for many small businesses that rely on tourism. Everyone's really nervous right now because a good chunk of all of our incomes come between the months of basically like May till September. And really, Mm -hmm. even more so, June, July, August are like huge months for us. And that's how we pay our employees. That's how we pay ourselves. He kind of talks about just like trying to prepare for the summer, not really knowing what's going to happen. Manola's been talking with lots of small business owners lately, from the Olympic Peninsula to Lower Queen Anne. And that's kind of what they've all been saying. Like Craig Yeager, owner of Greenhouse Inn by the Bay, also in Squim. Suddenly he just started seeing these like waves of cancellations. And for a while, it was just like nothing, nothing at all, not making any money. How do you, yeah, how does any business come back from making absolutely nothing? Or Amha Ayela, who owns Stella Deli and Market near downtown Seattle. In the past, his business relied on the lunch rush from nearby office workers. People go to work every day, typically. So his business was doing just fine. But then when all the offices closed, even though he could still like, sell his food for takeout. You know, the people that usually did come were not there. And for Zion at the Lavender Farm, it's possible some tourists will come back as the summer wears on and things open up more and more. But who knows? Will enough people feel comfortable going out and doing things? Will they be able to afford it even? Or will there be a second wave of the coronavirus and a second round of shutdowns? I'd say our biggest concern is like what to prepare for. It's so hard to tell what, what's actually sure. going to happen. Like, um, there's so much unknown. People say this all the time in every interview. For every story I've been writing for the past, you know, few weeks, months, and the uncertainty is what makes it so hard. There's just so much uncertainty. Of course, these stories from Zion and Craig and Amha They're everywhere right now, in the Seattle area and across the country. They're all very similar and all very dire. Small businesses around the country are bearing the economic brunt of the coronavirus pandemic. I had over 100 employees before coronavirus. I now have nine employees. How how do you turn a profit in this new world? We aren't. According to a recent U.S. Chamber of Commerce poll, only half of small businesses feel they are in good health. There's going to be a massive influx of individuals that are looking to obtain these limited dollars that are now being made available. A lot of small business owners right now are really hurting. All of our favorite small businesses in our cities and towns might be lost forever. Just curious if there was anything ever like this at all that ever happened to them before. I used to ask businesses that, I feel, when I first started reporting on this. Um, and I've kind of stopped because the answer is always no. I've never experienced anything like this. I mean, no one ever said running a small business was easy. It's not. 
even in the best of times, about half of small businesses fail within the first five years. But this, this is completely different. How do you prepare for that? How do you prepare from making enough money to making absolutely nothing? Typically, running a small business means making plans. You figure out over the years how to capture people's attention, how to follow the crowds. But now, all of that is out the window. You know, the trend that they've relied on is gone. All the patterns that they've so meticulously tracked for years, all that practice and education and learning, it doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't work. I think just in the in general way we talk about small businesses in the past, like there's a lot of times where if a small business fails, you know, sometimes people can blame it on something. People can be critical of it, thinking like, oh, they should have done this or this. But right now, there's no way anyone could have been prepared. There's just no one to blame. And I think that's what makes even solutions harder. It's that the solutions that we have to come up with right now are solutions that we've never really had to consider before. I'm Sarah Bernard, and this is This Changes Everything, a podcast from CrossCut about the new normal. Small businesses, like almost everything else right now, are in a major crisis. The reality is that most small independent businesses operate on very thin margins. No matter what, it's not easy to stay afloat, especially in the Seattle region, one of the most expensive metro areas in the nation. But there are things that small businesses count on, calculations they make about seasonal highs, lunchtime foot traffic, festivals and events. They rely on those things and they make it work until suddenly everything falls off a cliff for everyone. So I asked Manola Sakaira, who's been reporting on the experiences of small business owners across the region for several months now, what this cliff looks like. What help is out there? Can these businesses survive? And if not, what do we all stand to lose? Stay with us. So Manola says there are patterns she's seeing among the small business owners she's talked to. Most small businesses that have been impacted by this that I've spoken to have entered this like same cycle where, okay, so they were operating just fine. And then suddenly with the shutdowns um, and all the precautions, that have been needed to be taken because of coronavirus, they've either had to close completely or maybe do takeout or something if they're a restaurant. But basically, they're either making no money or a very, very small amount of money compared to what they were making before. So a lot of them have to lay off or furlough workers. After that, it's like the next step is they start looking for financial aid because they you know, weren't ready for this. So they apply for a lot of financial aid, but even financial aid is complicated um, because either money has been running out because so many there have been so many applicants or federal agencies that handle these loans and grants have been so overwhelmed that they've been really not really communicative with the business owners. So a lot of them feel like they're in the dark. They don't know what's going on. They're not receiving updates. It's, it's, not, it's not clear, you know, the process to a lot of people. Most of this financial assistance so far has been through what's called the Paycheck Protection Program. Under the Paycheck Protection Program. Uh, which is the PPP program. Also known as a PPP loan. And applied for PPP loans to keep what little is left of their business afloat. Which is a federal loan to a small business that will be forgiven if the business meets certain requirements. 
The program has gotten a lot of criticism, in part just because of how confusing it's been. But in one word, she says the experience has been terrible. <laughs> Specifically with the PPP loan, the money has to be used up um, within a certain amount of time. And there are some limitations in how you can use that money. Like, for example, a good chunk of it has to be used to pay employees. But if you're not even open, you, you can't use that money. A number of people have been telling us that the payroll protection plan, as good as it was for them to get the money, doesn't work because you can't open yet. And another problem, of course, is that it's so temporary. PPP is only a program that's designed to cover business operations, you know, employment and, and some fixed costs for eight weeks. That's Amanda Ballantyne, executive director of the Main Street Alliance, a national advocacy organization for small businesses with an office in Seattle. Manola talked with Amanda about all this in early June. And in Seattle, businesses have been experiencing the impact of COVID now for more than eight weeks. And then Amanda says there are lots of other problems with the PPP program. It's gotten a lot of press because it's a very poorly designed program. And the way it was laid, like rolled out caused, I think, just tremendous inequities in terms of who got the money in. We've learned that in round one of the PPP, a whopping $870 million went to publicly traded companies. At least 75 companies that were helped are so big that they're publicly traded and some had market values greater than $100 million. It kind of makes for an unfair situation. Like, we're the ones who really need the help and a lot of us aren't getting it. And now business owners even who got the money are very, very concerned that they're not going to be able to meet the eligibility requirements for forgiveness. So I think that's an example of a well-intentioned program. Like I think Mm. most of the policymakers who worked on it thought it would become a grant program or a subsidy program, but it's just been so badly done that it's caused, I think, many, many, many more problems. Four major banks are already facing a lawsuit alleging they prioritized bigger customers because those PPP loans yielded bigger fees for the banks. So it's still, even if they do fix the PPP, it's still it's still like a, a very temporary solution to a, a potentially long-term problem. These small businesses are going to need help, not just for now, not just for the next couple months, but for the long run. Like, I have no idea. I mean, nobody has any idea how long these businesses will need help because, you know, even now, as we're entering phases 1.5, phases 2 in other counties in Washington, and businesses can, some businesses can open up at a limited capacity, they're not going to be making anything near what they need to make to pay their workers. And they're not going to be making that amount for a long time and not because people don't want to go to their businesses or they're just not running their business well, but it's because they have to be so limited and they have to just catch up financially for everything that they lost. So there's that huge problem that even opening businesses isn't like the silver bullet to save them. They still have to recover from everything and, and build back up with the rest of society. And then that's not even like, talking about um, the businesses that have not been able to apply for financial aid in the first place and have either, you know, really struggled or completely disappeared because of that. So it's just been this really complex, messy, inequitable process for businesses. Pots of money run out, for instance. This small business loan program designed to keep small businesses afloat during the shutdown, we just heard, ran out of money earlier today. Manola says that that's what happened early on with a small business grant administered by the city of Seattle. 
So if you can't get to it right away, for any number of reasons, you miss out. In general, a lot of this has been hitting communities of color really hard, especially immigrant communities where maybe some of the business owners speak English but don't aren't proficient in reading and writing it, or maybe just have, you know, English is their second language and have some barriers because of that in general. So they need someone else to help them walk through these applications. And so often by the time they're done with that, the, the grants or the loan has already been used up. And again, a lot of these business owners I talked to were saying, we haven't never had to apply for financial aid before. So this is completely foreign to us. We never wanted to be in a situation where we'd have to. So that, yeah, they just had, they just had zero preparation for that. And, Amanda says, at first, the PPP program prevented sole proprietors, or businesses with single owners, from accessing the loans until a certain date. And that also impacted these same communities. The vast majority of business owners of color in this country are sole proprietors. So enormous numbers of businesses of color just didn't get access to the first round. I think at the end of the day, the PPP is, is not getting to the businesses who are most desperate, the businesses who are most on the edge. And those are often businesses in low-income neighborhoods and businesses owned by people of color and immigrants. And the loss of those businesses will be a huge loss of wealth in those communities and will dramatically increase already high inequity. And that's part of the reason why members of Congress and other lawmakers are working right now on improving the existing loan programs and creating new ones. Ideas that should help address equity issues and also increase small business support for the longer term. Some are pushing for the smallest small businesses to get a second round of forgivable loans. Others want to use In the meantime, things aren't looking good. Across the country, many small businesses are closing their doors permanently. Over 100,000 already have. And studies suggest that millions more still could. The Main Street Alliance, for example, issued a report recently that says a quarter of all the small businesses in the country could close in the next five months. Very, very um, serious crisis. It's like an existential crisis, really, for mm-hmm. many, many small business owners in this country. That, and she even mentioned, like, the idea of small business deserts in the future where just... Like areas where small businesses are just not there at all because none of them made it. And what does that do for a community? Those businesses, they won't come back. We, we won't come back to an economy that's as diverse as the one that we have now. There will, be, there will be tremendous corporate consolidation. There will be tremendous private equity acquisition. And we'll end up in a much more highly concentrated marketplace in specific sectors of our economy it will be much harder for entrepreneurs to start small businesses and be successful because the barriers to entry will be that much higher. And in a place like Seattle, which is already so expensive, where barriers to entry are already high, I mean, what will Seattle become? The character of Seattle has already changed. And I think with something that's this dramatic, I'm sure there's going to be another character shift. And I don't know what that's going to look like. I think the stakes of this are very high, not just for small business owners themselves, but also for for all of our communities. We'll get back to my conversation with Manola in just a minute. But first, a message from our sponsor, Primera Blue Cross. Primera Blue Cross was founded in Washington State. 
With offices in the Puget Sound area and Spokane, they know the profound impact the COVID-19 outbreak has had and will continue to have on our local communities. They joined the region's major employers who made the early decision to send employees home and help protect vulnerable family members, friends, and neighbors. The Primera team is in your corner and doing what they can to help during this health crisis. That includes covering COVID-19 tests and related office visits without out-of-pocket costs for most plan members. And they're working with the federal government toward free testing for all, regardless of health coverage. Primera has expanded virtual care options, too, so people in Washington can get their symptoms checked by a doctor without leaving their home or receive ongoing care, like mental health therapy. Primera is offering early prescription refills to make sure members have the medications they need at the ready. Mail order and 90-day refills are also available. Ask your pharmacist if you want to know more about your options. Primera continues to actively monitor the situation to find more ways they can help to stop the spread of COVID-19 and get treatment to those affected. Learn more about how your care is covered at Primera.com. So, yeah, this is all really, really dark. Bad news and more bad news, it seems, these days. Yeah. I mean, when I was talking to Amanda with the Main Street Alliance, she she even a couple times in the call <laughs> kept saying, sorry, this is so depressing. Like, I hate to be bleak. It's a Friday afternoon. But... You know, I, she she like kept apologizing or almost apologizing. Not to like, you know, wreck your Friday, but. <laughs> but it's just it's just the reality. It's so I mean, it's it's just really dire. Everything just looks scary and foggy. All we know is that we're going to lose a lot. We don't know how much. What's that going to look like? We don't know. It's just all that uncertainty. But there are some silver linings. First off, yes, Congress is working on some fixes. There are proposals to reform the PPP program, and U.S. Representative Pramila Jayapal has proposed the Paycheck Recovery Act, a way for businesses to pay their employees and fix costs, even if they have to stay closed. The best thing we can do for businesses to not shutter, particularly small and medium-sized businesses that have been completely pushed out during this pandemic, is to help those businesses by giving them uh, the money to keep workers on payroll and also to pay some of their operating costs. I just have been hearing a lot in generally from Congress people that they're looking to see what long-term solutions we have. Because at the beginning, it was like, everything was a little bit more temporary. And I think because people really didn't have an idea what the scope of all this looked like. But now everyone, it's kind of setting in for everyone. Okay, things are going to change. There's going to be a new world for businesses ahead. So how do we prepare for that in this long-term reality? And locally, too, there's support. There are Washington State benefits for employers, as well as a variety of programs and resources the city of Seattle is still offering, including matching grants to individual GoFundMe campaigns. Beyond that, we are still a community. People who love these small businesses are stepping up. There have also been a lot of businesses that have just seen like overwhelming support from their communities. Just like people, you know, if it's a restaurant doing a lot of takeout and like ordering like a bunch of food 
or um, just donating. A lot of um, businesses have just had funds that they've opened up for donations, which again, they've never had to do before. And they've just seen like massive donations or if they're selling merch, like tons of people buying. People have been helping businesses board up. People have been offering free art to businesses. Like a lot of business owners I've talked to have just said that people have literally just called them and asked, what can I do? And that has been really helpful to them too. Yeah. And I mean, that totally shows you that it's not a business isn't just like an institution or a building. It's like all the people that really love it. For example, this Facebook group, I think it's called Support the International District, has come about just to um, make participants of the group aware of restaurants that they should be buying food from. And everyone's always just like, oh, I love the food from this place. Support them. And as another example, people have also been helping out businesses that serve the LGBTQ community. The businesses that usually rely on income from big events for Pride Month, which happens each June. And now they're just seeing like this overwhelming show of support, you know, from from people that love them, like Wild Rose, which is Seattle's only lesbian bar. That's already seen a lot of like struggle and change in its history. It's not just a bar. It's a place that is like significant for people. That means a lot to them. And I know a lot of queer people have had a lot of really special memories there. Even the business owner was talking about how so much in her life has happened within the walls of that bar. According to the stats out there, small businesses make up almost all of U.S. businesses. 88% of American businesses have fewer than 20 employees. These businesses are at the heart of the economy, or they are the economy, just in terms of numbers, you might say. But there's so much more than that. What do we lose when we lose small businesses? I mean, when you go out of Seattle and into smaller towns that are, you know, basically all small businesses, I mean, if those, if that disappears, it's like, that's just so much of the character of Washington. And then even here in Seattle, there have been businesses that have already been struggling, businesses that have already been gentrified out of Seattle, businesses that don't really operate because they're trying to make this huge profit, but just because they mean a lot to their community. I mean, even for me, when I go to my favorite restaurants, like for example, um, Michelateca is a El Salvadorian restaurant kind of outside Seattle that I love that has great pupusas. And I guess for some context, my family's Guatemalan, El Salvador is right next to Guatemala and we share a lot of food. When I go there, I have like this amazing food, just like with people that feel like familiar and it feels like really homey. And I don't get that in a lot of other places. And yeah, I, I think that's how a lot of people just feel about their restaurants. It's like, if it's a place you really love, it's a place that often will make you feel at home. And not just in a way of like, this is where you live, but also just in a way of this is where I feel safe and welcome and feel like, I have people that get me like I get them. Small businesses, like Manola says, they exist because people care about them. There are real relationships there, real memories. There's real and powerful cultural significance. If we come out of all this with small business deserts, with just a handful of big corporations that sell us food and alcohol and lavender lotions, we've lost a big part of who we are. And I feel like this experience has made me so much more aware of where I'm buying and how I'm buying and who I'm supporting and who those people are behind the places that I support. 
it's just scary knowing that you might lose the thing you love. Thanks for listening to This Changes Everything. This episode was produced by me, Sarah Bernard, and the story editor was Mark Baumgarten. Engineering assistance from Rusty Bacall. Our cover art is by Greg Cohen. Huge thanks this week to Manola Sakaira, who covers the impacts of growth and change in the region, as well as so many other issues, including food security and environmental justice. Read all of her work at crosscut.com. And all of the newsroom's coverage of the coronavirus at crosscut.com coronavirus. You can subscribe to This Changes Everything on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. And if you like the show, please leave that review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find us. For more on This Changes Everything and other CrossCut podcasts, go to crosscut.com slash podcasts. For the latest political, environmental, and culture news from the Pacific Northwest, visit crosscut.com. This Changes Everything is a product of Cascade Public Media. I'm Sarah Bernard. We'll be back soon with another episode.